Welcome to their very best. The podcast where total amateurs make wild proclamations about the work of expert professional musicians. Despite having no actual qualifications, I'm Waldron Faulkner. And I'm Bill Noto. Thank you for joining us for wild, unsolicited opinions about... You too. This is this their very is best. I gotta write a little sting. Yeah. Over the so uh, we're thrilled to have our friend Jeff Simons back again in the guest host seat. I remember hearing you tell stories, Jeff, about seeing you two live. I hope you tell those stories again. They're great stories. Jeff is a prolific podcaster uh, from 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys and a frequent, frequent, frequent v- visitor on the age-old question. And honestly, he's, he's an old master at this game. We're so happy to have you back here. <laughs> setting me up. Thank you, fellas. Thrilled to be back, as always, on the very best. This is great. And uh, uh, this is a kind of an impossible job today to try to do... Uh, to do you two with so few choices, so I, I I did find it I did find it challenging. So I'll be curious to see Bill what what uh, tack you took and whether we went the same way or different ways. So. so if there's any overlap, I'll be really surprised because there's just too much ground to cover. Jeff, we just finished a three part series on Led Zeppelin because we we're like, oh, it's too hard. We can't do it in just one. So we did like you know the first albums and the middle albums and the later albums. And it was the first time we did that. And by the way, so much easier than what we're trying to do right now. (laughs) So don't be worried. This is a three by three. I'm going to not participate because you two, while I admire and appreciate uh, it's i'm not a connoisseur and so it's going to be three billies and three jeff picks and and i will possibly have to have some revenge because there is one song that is in fact their very best and if you miss it then i'm going to need to have revenge sounds good but hope so all right so jeff the way it's going to work is you're going to i'm going to go first because you're going to go last and you get to name the actual very best song oh so we go three three two one we're going backwards you take the risk that your number one gets poached. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, so here's the deal. I was bringing, I was bringing a snake draft mentality to this thing. No, it's no problem if it gets poached. You're still able to, like, give your comments and thoughts. You know what I mean? It's not like, yeah. no, you don't get to say anything. But also you get better coverage for your list of six, right? So if, if Bill okay. uses your favorite one, you can go deeper in your catalog. Oh, I'm starting to get it. Okay. All right. Thank you for, I'm glad I'm going second. I'm a total novice. So yeah. (laughs) And to be honest, I'm not really going three, two, one. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's your job to say what the best one is. I'm not really going three, two, one. I'm just going to jump in enough of this Sunday, bloody Sunday is my first pick. I just want to say this is not a rebel song. This is Sunday, bloody Sunday. But by the way, it totally is a rebel song. <laughs> that drum track is amazing to me. I don't know any other drums that sound like this. That groove, it's like, it's kind of a march. 
You got the four on the floor thing happening with the bass drum and just this wild 16th note pattern between the hi-hat and the snare drum. The effect of it is it's very stirring. It raises the passions. That's what I have to say about Sunday Bloody Sunday. Billy, what is it about this drummer's drums that make all of them sound like military drums? Like, it sounds like a snare drum off of a battlefield or something. Like, this, they, all of the drums sound like, like military is the only like, adjective I can use to, to describe it. Like, yeah, I mean, I would say this track in particular has like a martial element to it, but it doesn't, I don't think it sounds like a march. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about the beat. I'm, I'm talking about the sound of it. Yeah. Onto something there. I think you're really onto something there. Like there's there's two things about U2 that are sonically completely unique. And the first is obviously Edge's guitar, like that digital delay thing. Like he invents a new style of guitar, of electric guitar playing. And he might be the last really extraordinary reinventor of the sound. But the second sonic detail about U2 that's different from any other band is Larry Mullen's snare drum. Mm. Like when these guys first became a band in 76, like as teenagers, they, they're all bad except Larry Mullen. He's like the most musical ah, guy in the group. Is that right? All the group together. Hmm. And, and so all of U2's identity is, well, Larry will keep it all together and we'll kind of learn how to play around him. <laughs> a lot better but they never lost that like if you listen to U2 songs like Mullins at the center and it's why they're able to do these songs that start at nothing and become this big crashing wave and then it retreats on the other side and the constant that allows that to happen is the impeccable precision and timing of Larry Mullen and that that snare drum is so high in the mix I think because U2 as a band has relied on it since its existence and I don't think they can hear how unusual it is. And, huh. and when you go from War to Unforgettable Fire and they, they dropped the drums in the mix for the first time, critics were like, what the hell happened? Yeah. Like, Unforgettable Fire actually got bad reviews when it came out yeah. because Larry Mullen became mixed in like a normal drummer and everybody was like, where the hell did the snare drum go? So right. I think you're totally right. I never realized that, and it's an awesome education. It makes sense. I mean, it you can totally it. makes sense. Yeah. It, yeah. And, you know, what drummer doesn't like it when the drums are front and center? I don't. He's the only drummer hearing a playback who's like, I'm good with this mix. <laughs> He's the only one ever in history. <laughs> I saw in my limited research that The Unforgettable Fire was produced by Daniel Lanois and and Brian Eno and yep I wonder if they like took a more forgive me more musical less drummerly uh, approach to it and, and ruined it that way offended without kind yeah, of realizing what it, they were doing yeah it's Steve Lillywhite I think who mixes war and yeah. he goes on to be like the biggest pop producer of the 80s and it's vocal and drums 
dead up in the front and then everything else to the side. That was a great pick, Billy. I like it. Yeah, it's good. That's a good one. Thank you. Okay, Jeff. I'm going to, I'm actually going to pick an Unforgettable Fire song, but I'm going to ask you to pick the live version. So if you could go to Wide Awake in America. I love it. And (laughs) and queue up the live version of Bad. Did you guys collude on this? Because No. No, but you have to explain that to Jeff. I'm always picking the live songs. <laughs> we have a, I think you may have already witnessed this once before, but like we, we have a, a back and forth where I really don't prefer the live ones and Bill totally prefers the live ones. And most get, most guests come on and they're like, yeah, let's have, I love the live ones. And I'm like, ah, I want <laughs> Unforgettable Fire comes out and the mix is very different and muddy and the band is broken in America on war like New Year's Day is the song that breaks the band in the United States and they put out that Under a Blood Red Sky mini live LP and they're 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 becoming and then Unforgettable Fire kind of dulls the the momentum because people can't make sense of it and then the band comes on tour and plays all these Unforgettable Fire songs live and audiences are like oh because it's now these songs sounding like what the band used to sound like in the studio. And I think when they heard these songs live, they were like, oh, okay, so when we go in again with these guys, we've gotta, we've gotta marry the kind of magic of the four of us playing with the sonic experimentation of these two kind of studio geniuses. But this version of Bad, like on the on Unforgettable Fire, Bad's a good song, but it's a little disjointed and it doesn't it doesn't ever have that moment where it, it peaks but boy does it peak on this one when when bono first goes to that like high a like a what a wake it's mm. the whole band is rising with them i've seen you two a lot of times and i've never seen a band inspire an audience's collective sense of community like you two does and i guess it sounds cheesy but it's totally true and i've seen i've seen tons of shows where that's that is supposedly the whole thing i've seen a bunch of grateful dead shows i've seen a ton of fish shows no band creates like a church-like atmosphere a secular church-like atmosphere like you two does and when you see this band do this song you feel like you're part of one giant organism You notice we haven't heard a we haven't heard anything other than a kick drum yet. There's a snare. Is he getting is he in now? There's a backbeat. Yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's not doing the Marshall thing as well, Ultram would say. He's not into that which he will get to, right? And again, the classic U2 starts slow, bring in bring in a few details, get it bigger, get it bigger, get it bigger, and then just start to climb the mountain and take everybody with you and then let everybody come back down the other side. You hear that delay in the guitar, too. Just talk about the guitar for a second. This is Edge's guitar playing at its absolute best. Because the thing about the digital delay is, if you hit one bad note, it's with you for the next 10 seconds. Like, you have to be perfect. You have to be 
perfectly on the beat and you have to hit every note exactly right because it's going to ring out three or four or five more times. And I almost never hear Edge make a clam. Like he's, he's so precise. He's not a flashy guitar player. He's not a particularly gifted guitar player, but he's so well practiced and precise and articulate and committed. And it, it comes out so well. And it's why he's such a great match for Mullen. No band understands itself and plays to its strength better than this band because they have plenty of weaknesses and they find it, they're remarkable at avoiding them. Hmm. Jeff, when you were talking about that uh, ability to create unity in the audience, I, I wondered if you want to share that anecdote, you know the one I'm thinking of, about the end of the show at Giant Stadium. Oh, yeah. So this is actually JFK Stadium in Philadelphia before they they demolished it, which held 106,000 people. U2 is playing JFK Stadium in Philadelphia at the beginning of the stadium leg of the Joshua Tree Tour. They're the biggest band in the world. Uh, and it's a big deal. Like, um, uh, Bruce Springsteen comes out and plays Stand By Me with them at one point. And the audience is just so committed to the performance. At the end of the show, they play the song 40, which is soft war. It's a little two minute throwaway sing along. And it ends with him singing, how long to sing this song? They sing it, they turn it into this acapella thing with the audience and they wave goodbye. They leave the stage, the house lights come on in a football stadium and the audience stands without moving with its arms around each other, screaming this how long over and over and, and then People start to leave, but they keep singing. And we're singing, we're filing out of the stadium, we're filing out into the parking lot. And people sang it all the way to the edges of the parking lot. And, and some people were still singing it when I went into the subway. And I was really wondering about my memory. And thank goodness the show's on YouTube and an audience recording. And the audience recording fades out like three minutes into us doing it. But I'm not exaggerating that it's, it was it was a full 10 to 12 minutes where the audience just stayed, 106,000 people just stayed together, not cheering, but just singing the end of this song well, without a band on stage, without any prompting. It was it was just an extraordinary it's pretty wild. community moment. It's just one of those moments why you go out to see music because you never know what will happen. My brother had a very similar experience seeing them on the same tour, different leg of the tour. Uh, he must have seen them at the Brendan Byrne Arena. Yeah. 1987. I remember him telling me that same story. And like everyone sang it all the way to their cars. It's, it is wild. Yep. Like that doesn't happen, you know? <laughs> no. Oh, that was awesome, Jeff. Do you want to listen to the call for help real quick? I mean, you're the DJ. I'm just the ideas guy. Okay, let me play... Let me play Chris Enghauser's call for help. Hello, this is Chris Enghauser, one of your cohorts, and I'm chiming in because there is no question in my mind that on Joshua Tree, with or without you, is YouTube's very, very best song. That's false. <laughs> it defines a generation of music. It's perfect, and it probably could make me cry every time I hear it. Is that enough? All right. Good luck with this one. See ya. <laughs> I think I love it. I love Eddie. I mean, we could talk about this later when we talk about the best album, but 
Joshua Tree is an amazing album. And this is an amazing song that I kept adding and then removing from my list. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it'll make the cut. We'll see. I'm ready to share my next song. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Go get him. Off of Boy, I Will Follow. Oh, man. One sonic addition to this song that must be mentioned is the glockenspiel. <laughs> right from the beginning. I always love a glockenspiel. One of our favorites. Yeah. It's so loud. <laughs> <laughs> The glockenspiel in the mix? Yeah, the glockenspiel. You can't do anything about it. Like, the glockenspiel is the loudest instrument on planet Earth. I played uh, glockenspiel on a um, on a live recording once, and it, like, it was like a live in-studio thing. <laughs> and uh, first they put a microphone on it, and we I hit it once, and like, nope, nope, no microphone. <laughs> and then we did, a ta- we did a take, and then they made me turn around and, and shield the glockenspiel from all like the cameras and all the other and it's still when you listen to it it's still just like it's through yeah. nuclear war that thing so that's just one element of the song and I don't know if I have like that many interesting things to say about the rest of the song but again like loving it love the drums love the guitar and I, I think I I really appreciate like the earlier U2 songs that sort of have a, a little bit more of a punk or a little bit of a punk element and that's that's in this song i think totally how many bands are still playing the first song from their first album every night <laughs> <laughs> I love these harmonics too. Oh yeah. You could just see the edge discovering that a guitar does this. He's like, we are <laughs> we are writing a song where I do this. Right. This is cool. We just heard the beer bottle found sounds, the bottles clanking down the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. I also love the way he says circo. Circo. <laughs> They're not being careful with accents yet. Like it's just such a record made by kids. It's great. Yeah. But yeah, this song's great. I love hearing when when the band like they got together in high school or when they were 14 or whatever and then they just sort of stuck around and like they got better on their instruments and uh i I love it when that happens because it's inspiration for those of us who you know were (laughs) and you know currently are some of us you know not me but kids that are you know just discovering stuff it's true you it can you can be you too and there'll be a lot of naivete in the early days right but uh (laughs) <laughs> but you'll get over it, you know? This is the only band of this length without a change in personnel. It's not even close. No band is the original quartet. It's just crazy. There was never another lead singer. There was never another second guitarist. Like, just these four dudes. Are they all credited on all of the songs? Is that... That's I, I think so. I see the Edge getting a lot of credits later. Later on the uh-huh. latest ones, it's like U two Edge and 
some other producer and huh. uh, some of the ones that I was looking at. Today. Yeah, but I think they decided to split publishing from the beginning, uh, Beatles style, and that was super smart. Or REM did the same thing. REM splits uh, all the publishing four ways, no matter what. And then you're not fighting for your song or... Right, goes a long way to explaining why they're still together, maybe, right? Maybe so. Yep. One last thing about that one. That was Bono on the glockenspiel. So is that right? <laughs> yeah, he should have turned around. I actually can't believe he didn't force the glockenspiel on six or seven other songs <laughs> once he learned how to do it. <laughs> uh, tremendous restraint to learn how to do it once and then be able to walk away from it. All right, Jeff, it's up to you now. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna cover a different album. We've already talked about war. So um, would you please queue up even better than the real thing from Octoon Baby? I will do that. Great choice. So Octoon Baby, I, I bought it um, at 12.01 a.m. It was like their local record store was doing a like, I'm going to stay open until one minute after midnight, the first day I'm allowed to sell the record. And uh, it sounds really different than previous U2. And uh, I, I, I got to admit, the first time I heard it, I was like, I don't know. And then I really fell for it. Because, you know, Joshua Tree takes that kind of rise and fall U2 construction to its natural peak. Um, Chris's call on With or Without You, like it's the quintessential example of that. And then they don't do that on this record. Like this is a different kind of sonic experimentation. And they were burned out. Like the Joshua Tree tour was two and a half years long. I think Rattle and Hum is a pretty spotty record and is mostly half-baked ideas that should have been left in there. I was talking about you two rarely making mistakes. When love comes to town for me is a mistake. Like backing up BB King <laughs> is not their, they're not a soul band. But this is such a spectacular return to form. It's mm. a fantastic concept. It's a completely different understanding of what the band can sounds like. It's different kind of songwriting. They go to Berlin and they get to a whole different headspace to make it. And then they lean hard into the performance nature of it. Like this tour, Bono's playing characters and it's, they do this whole like Eastern Europe, Western Europe collide. They've got old East German Trabant cars serving as the lights for the stage. They just became a really extremely clever band on this without becoming uh, just a kick-ass rock band at the same time. Go to Berlin and, and uh, channel your inner Bowie with a lot of different personalities. And also Edge yep. on guitar channeling his inner uh, George Harrison. Uh, there, there's something very, yep. I forget which song it is, but it's like, that's totally that one Beatles song in this uh, guitar riff. Great call. The other thing I love about this song is it's legitimately kind of funky. Like this is kind of a slinky, funky dance track. 
I like the lyrical idea of it too, which I think. Yeah, me too. It's a neat little concept, even better than the real thing. So, great choice. I don't know how you're going to top that, Billy. I I don't think I am. I'm going to do another pick off of Octung Baby, though. Oh, nice. I really love the song One off of Octung Baby. Is it getting better? This is also a song about unity. I think it's inspired by reunification in Germany, among other things. There are a lot of great songs on this album. I actually love The Joshua Tree more, but those two albums are just so great. This is like a coming of age album for me. I mean, I this was like I bought this maybe not like 1 minute after the day after it went on sale, but I remember just driving around with this playing in the CD player of my car. One love we get to share it. Please admit I'm late to the game on this track. I actually felt like it was kind of a dud. And I've uh the older I get the more I love this song. I remember the video has like slow motion footage of a buffalo running across the plains in slow motion and I used to think like that was a perfect description for the song, like kind of a slow moving <laughs> buffalo like and what what unsurprisingly turned me around on it was uh was watching other people react to it when I saw the band live. Like this is such a touchstone song. People with tears in their eyes and and hearing it in that new context, seeing how much it meant to other people, I lost my kind of my smugness about it. Your nose came down a notch. I've come to really love it. It's a, it's a very emotionally resonant song. And, you know, you're not necessarily always open for that right away, right? The other problem is, like, Bono had become a little ridiculous mm. around, like, 89, 90, right? And, like, mm. he's, you know, he's hanging out with Vaclav Havel and he's, you know, <laughs> he's become trying to turn himself into kind of a political figure. Yeah, right. I look back now and I'm like, why did I give the guy a hard time? He's just trying to use a platform to help people. But I was... I admit I found myself more annoyed by him than I than entertained by him. And so the the over the top sincerity of this like I found hard to believe. And now that I'm on old now I'm older and I've watched him age gracefully, I'm like, nah, I think he really meant it. <laughs> I feel like it's hard to fake some stuff. You know, like yeah. 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 they take themselves really seriously and Bono most of all probably and I just feel like you can't get up and dance like Mick Jagger unless you actually feel like you're Mick Jagger, right? And, mm. and I feel like it'd be hard to carry off like a fake sincerity uh, of his whole sort of persona. Yeah, I actually think that's a great insight. Like, you have to be a lunatic to think you can be the best band in the world. Right. And they really, they really think they're the best band in the world. And I think for a couple years there, they were. And you don't get to that spot by accident. You're like, accidentally, Michael Jordan, like, 
you you like have some creepy moment alone with yourself where you're like, oh, Michael Jordan, and like you just have to believe it. So you're right about that, and 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 that could rankle like people who hate you too really hate them, and I think that's why because they aren't like a aw shucks we're a band to take us or leave us they're like right. we are the unifying note of creation and if you don't like it <laughs> you really 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 pisses you off like no you're not like it's not so a funny. band people feel ambivalent about you guys before we do jeff's last pick should maybe we do the my revenge at this point because i'm pretty sure he's not going to pick my revenge song all right let's do it so on the joshua tree and you guys are probably going to think this is a hot take because i know you love that album a lot but the best song on that album and the best song full stop by u2 is called bullet the blue sky False. <laughs> you are incorrect. And, and the problem is, Billy, is you're not listening to the guitar. You're too busy listening to drums. That's probably true. That is always my problem. But if I had a vibra slap, I would be vibra slapping right now. <laughs> You don't like it? No, I like it. Tell us more about why you think it's the best one, though. Substantiate yourself. This is classic Bill Noto calling on me to actually back up my claim. (laughs) And I don't really have it. Like, all I can tell you is that this was the one song that really came through to me, the guitar sound right here. the guitars lots of guitars and i don't know i i even kind of believe in the uh the little skit like narrative when he's talking about pulling off the hundred dollar bills and all the rest of that like i kind of i kind of get into it i like it outside it's america you know i grew up in annapolis maryland and uh the blue angels practice in annapolis that so you can imagine a bunch of moments when we'd all look up and go, and I can see them fireplanes. <laughs> we really could. They were, they were flying overhead. Right. The great song. And I love that guitar, that do 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 that little two-note thing that he adds in the middle. And this is classic live. This is classic Bono at his absolute most ridiculous, like, Pounding the women and children. Right, yeah. You're like, do I bug you? I don't mean to bug you. Right? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here for this song. It's great. I, I love how inspired they are by place, right? All that Berlin stuff seems to have inspired them to be Bowie-like or just Berlin-like. And, and this is their America album, right? One hundred, two hundred, and I can see those spider planes. I can see those spider planes. They took a lot of inspiration from like the West and I like it. I love it. 
Well, as as uh, hot take picks, uh, it's super defensible. All right, I'm taking that. Like, I was afraid you were going to pick, like, you know, Vertigo or something from the mid-2000s. And- I wouldn't do that, no. Outside, it's America. Outside, it's America. Well, Jeff, we're down to it, man. All right. The best U2 record is The Joshua Tree. It has the best side one of any record ever made. And I and it's not my all-time favorite record. It's in my top ten. But the first three songs in particular yeah. are better than any first three songs on any record ever made. I'll, you, I will... We can go into the octagon, and um, I'm sure there are other worthy candidates, but you're just not going to find... A better trio uh and i think the greatest u2 song of all time kicks off the joshua tree i think it is where the streets have no name great choice really great oh psyched um where the streets have no name is everything we love about u2 music it starts with this crazy weird out of nowhere and it's not it's not accidental it's making all the chord changes that we're about to hear in the song and it's making them in time but because we don't have the click yet and we're just in this atmospheric space we don't recognize it yet but now that i've listened to the song a million times like i know where the pulse is and all these changes happen in time it's actually teaching us the chords that we're going to hear in a second but it's ethereal it's funereal it's spiritual and then rising out of this, we're going to get Edge's signature digital delay guitar. It's not quite clear yet what this is going to become, but now we can lock in. Uh, there it is. The song is so exciting before Bono even comes in. And now Mullen's going to do his classic this rattle trap drum chart, right? Like all kick drum and accents. Perfectly connects. And then good old Adam Clayton, king of the quarter note. Not pulling any focus, just perfect one note bass part. And we're a minute in before Bono finally announces that. And the track's in no hurry. There's all these scratchy, weird guitars coming in and out, left and right. For one of the biggest songs ever, there's so little going on here. There's so much space. It sounds, it's got the open space of the desert landscape that gives the record its name. Like they lean hard into that. Verse two, add a couple of extra things, but actually bring it even more down. There's barely even a D chord here to latch onto. My greatest memory of listening to this record was uh, my mother's whole family is from Florida, and I went down to visit them one more time before going to college. 
and when everybody else would go to bed, I would borrow my grandmother's old car and get out on the A1A, which is the coastal highway. <laughs> yeah. And I would drive 80 miles in one direction and turn around and drive 80 miles back. And this is the cassette. And I just listened to it over and over and over. So I know it's supposed to sound like the American Southwest, but to me, it sounds like going 95 miles an hour in the middle of the night with no other cars on A1A. But it sounds like freedom and it sounds like opportunity and it sounds like the trepidation of growing up. This song is like an adrenaline shot. When I get to this part of the song, when I'm not talking about it, I am screaming along to it. I cannot control myself. And the older I get, the less likely I am to hit that high note. And uh, I just go for it every time. We're not even to the full climax. He's gonna do it here. There's a whole extra verse of, of at the top of the pyramid. Brilliant. I think the drums changed just there. Oh yeah, da boom bop. He gets that extra tom hit. And the thing I love about this band so much is this song's in D major. The next song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, is in D major. And With or Without You, the third song, is in D freaking major. <laughs> the first 17 minutes of this record is the same key. That's interesting. Let alone the same approach. So badass. <laughs> and then... The outro. It's Billy, that was pretty, pretty definite. It sounds like it's kind of decided for you too. What do you think? Oh, I think it's definitely decided. Yeah. Uh, what am I supposed to say next? Well, Hold you on. now invite Jeff, or I'll <laughs> oh. do it if you prefer, to no. make some proclamations. I mean, he just made yeah a proclamation about you two's very best song. And if I if I'm not mistaken, Jeff, you declared the Joshua Tree is the best album as well. Did, yeah, is that right? I did. Yes. And I agree with your choices, by the way. They're excellent. I I think I think the Joshua Tree is just a phenomenal album. I have a lot of memories listening to it in lots of good places. Driving, being a passenger, falling asleep. Like I used to play it all over the in all kinds of ways. Anyway. And it was fun to listen to again recording this. So Waljin. Yeah. Talk to me about a call to action. What action are you calling for? Jeff, we're doing we're doing something different. Instead of like begging for like people to contact us on all the socials and all the rest of this, what we're doing now is like one call to action per episode. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, uh, I want one call to action for this episode, which is to leave a wonderful five stars only review. And and I'm even going to give them the template because a lot of people will leave stars, you know, but not the language. And so, if you don't know what to say, you just say, I listened to the Their Very Best podcast when I, and then you fill in the blank, and you just leave that. I love and it. And then we've got a review, <laughs> and it's going to be fantastic. And that's a great review. By the way, when do you listen to the Their Very Best podcast, Waldron? I, I have to confess, Jeff, you're a musician, so I don't know whether you're the kind of musician like I am, but if I create something, audio, whether it's a podcast or a piece of music, I will listen to that 
over and over and over again. I'm just so impressed with myself whenever I produce something. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like great musicians, probably like you, do not do that. What do you think? Is that something you do? I don't know what it says, but I, I do. When I make music, I, I do obsess over the details. Like, I can't... There's a moment when I can let go, but um, if I can get all the way through a listen without something making me go, ah, then it's done. It's <laughs> a good barometer. So uh, I know a song is done when I listen to the whole thing and nothing made me want to punch myself in the face. I, by the way, listen to the very best podcast when I want to be reminded uh, what it's like to be in love with music. That would be my five-star review, guys. Wow, so, that's oh amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on again and doing another episode with us. The Dawes episode was great. This one is great. We're going to have to start thinking about how we can put you away from your other podcast for another episode pretty soon here. It will not be hard. Yeah, I will be. I will be easily, easily poachable, fellas. Thanks so much for having me. It was super yeah, thank, fun. Thank you, Jeff. It's such a pleasure, and you elevate this a lot. Yep. So we're we're grateful. So we'll do more of these. So beware. Watch out. We'll be offering more unsolicited wrong opinions in the near future. I'm Bill, and I'm Waldron, and thanks for listening to their very best. Yeah.